how to approach Twitter if you want to get good outcomes out of it in the sense that if you want to sell something, if you want to get lead generation, if you want to get all kinds of opportunities, how to build that personal brand on Twitter that will allow you to do that. Welcome to another episode of Hyper Presents. In this episode, I talked to Alex Louis. Alex was fired from his job during the pandemic. He knew he had to do something to make a living. Luckily, he had a little bit of savings and found Twitter. In this episode, you'll learn how to differentiate yourself on Twitter to grow your following faster and how to make money without advertising your business. My name is Yannick, co-founder of Hypefury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Alex, for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Alex. I'm based in, in Spain. I'm a social media consultant slash creator slash internet <laughs> experimenter, I guess. So a little bit of everything. <laughs> cool. And so you actually were fired from your job. Tell us a little bit about how that happened. So my background is on advertising. So I worked on advertising agencies for the last four or five years. Then early 2020, when I got struck here in Spain. I just moved to a bigger agency on January and this was around COVID was around March, April. So two months later, like around July, they called like a town hall meeting and they basically said that they were going to close the Spanish offices. They fired like around 70 or 80 people in which I was included. They said like the, the excuse, I guess, that they we got was that the numbers didn't add up. Like the, the office was not uh, making enough profit enough to justify keeping it open because this is an agency that had offices all around the world. And, you know, like Madrid, where I was based, was one of them. So they just closed and around the same time was when I started creating content on Twitter because I saw that that door was closing for me. I didn't know what was going to come next. So Twitter was the place where I could share like my thoughts around social media marketing, all of that, which is basically the same that I was doing at the agency. But now I was just sharing it on the open. So that's basically how the firing slash starting on Twitter happened. How does social security in Spain work? Because if you get fired, how was it like a severance package? How long could you still stay afloat with like the money? And Yeah, so since the firing was like a mass firing, I don't know what was the exact words, but like that's like a legal thing. We had to hire some lawyers on the employee side. So there was like a, not a fight, but like a court negotiation. You know, like that's when you negotiate like, Firing packages, like how much money is going everyone to get and how, like, depending on the years or the time that you have been in the company, you get more, you get less. So I was like four months there, didn't get that much money, to be honest, but got to keep like my computer, which was a MacBook, which was nice. <laughs> so in that sense, I mean, it's an, it's an old MacBook from 2015, but still like does the work. So, and it's the one that I'm using right now. So that was, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. So it's pretty, and you worked a lot longer the other agency just before you moved yeah. there? Yeah, so basically after I finished my master's degree, I had a master's on, on advertising too. I started as an intern into one agency. I was there like for three, four months. Then I was hired on another agency and that, and that one I spent like almost three years. And then the next one was this one when I, where I got fired. <laughs> and so what did you do when you heard, hey, you're being let go? Yeah, you, you already started a bit on Twitter, but like, what was your plan? What were you going to do? To be honest, I, I wasn't that worried in the sense because I had some savings already, so that was good on that side. Like I didn't get that much money from the firing, but well, at least like for one or two months more than that helps. And then I was more like, I knew I could make something on my own. I just didn't know where to start. And Twitter was starting to get a little bit of traction. Yeah, not that much, but you know, so I have like maybe four, five, six months of runaway 
maybe let's try to focus a lot on Twitter, build that and see what can come from it. So my first idea was to sell digital products and so on. But once I started posting on Twitter, people started reaching out to me for freelance consulting, you know, like that kind of stuff. And that's where, where everything basically started. So I saw that there was potential there. So I keep doubling down. And with the first thing that, with the first earnings that I got from freelancing, that was more than enough that, than saying, okay, maybe I can make like a full-time thing out of this. That's cool. And so how did you then start on Twitter? You know, because a lot of people are on Twitter, but not a lot of people will get over 10,000 followers in a year. Yeah. So the thing is I started because I'm from Spain. So like my first decision was to, so should I tweet in Spanish? Or should I tweet on in English? Because that's like the two, the, obviously there is a Spanish market that is huge. There is a lot of people that speak Spanish in the world. So you can also make a good business and everything there. But basically my thought process was like, okay, if I have to go like freelance, who is bound to probably pay me more money for my services? Like people from the States, you know, like things like that, or someone from Spain, which I know that they are not that keen to pay that kind of money, or even from South America, which normally the budgets are not that high. So that's why I chose English, basically. Also, like most of the people that I was following at the time before I became a creator were tweeting in English. And when I, if I wanted to engage with them, I need to do it in English. So that was like the decision with behind tweeting in English. So that's how I started. I started engaging with people that I, I was finding on Twitter and so on and posting my own thoughts. That didn't get that much traction at the beginning, obviously. So... But yeah, like slowly, I mean, as we all did, probably like the, everyone that passed on the podcast. So engaging with others is how I found like the first traction on my profile. Like, And who, who did you follow and who did you engage with? So one of the first persons was actually what's first visualize value. And then I found that Jack Butcher was the person behind the account. So I found visualize value that was like, boom, you know, like, oh, that's super cool. And what, like, what the account is doing and so on. Then I found Jack Butcher, the, the person. And yeah, he was one of the first then like around that circle of people that was one when I found like my first, let's say, in into Twitter. Yeah. And that was like the official community. I guess there were a lot of designers hanging around Jack as they were following him. Yeah. But not only designers, but like these kind of people that want to productize things like this kind of productized mindset, you know, like building things and so on. So that's when I found like this kind of people. And that was super, super interesting to, to get started. And what did you learn from Jack? What did you change after, you know, seeing what he did online? Yeah. So one of the things that a lot of people say about me and my brand is like the, the orange slash yellow color that I have on my profile picture. And that basically like every visual that I share, every picture that I share, I try to put like the orange background just to keep it on brand. And that was a decision motivated by Jack because I took one of his first courses about designing and so on. And I'm not a designer or anything like that. Like my design skills are basically not really good. I just Canva for everything, just so you know. So anyways, one of the things that I learned on that course is that like eliminate one decision, you know, like, I mean, take one decision to eliminate a thousand, something like that. That's a quote. I think it's from Tim Ferriss or someone like that. And basically it's what he did with Visualize Value. So he chose two colors, like black and white, just to keep it everything tight and so on. So I basically did the same. I said, okay, if I have to share pictures, visuals, anything, it has to have like one main color, like the orange one, my profile picture too, my header too. So everything, like when someone sees a tweet from me, they see like the whole brand playing in motion. So that's basically the decision behind my orange branding. And one of the first things that I learned from, from Jack, actually. Cool. What happened next? Because, okay, you got a little bit of traction, but clients didn't come knocking on your door then, I think. No, not yet. Like 
It happened when I was like around 300 followers. That was when I experienced like the magic of Twitter in the sense that I posted a thread that I didn't even have like much confidence in and it suddenly exploded. Like with 300 followers, that thread got like thousand something likes, which was like mental for me. Like my tweets used to get like 20 likes maybe. And that was like a thousand likes. And it got me from 300, sorry, to 800 or 900 followers in like two days, which was like the boom, you know, but that happened after three months of posting and only getting 300 followers in three months, you know? So that's the thing. So like that consistency of posting and so on got to that viral thread. And that's when, you know, like when you get to that mark of thousand followers, everything is a bit easier. So you get a little bit more traction. You are easier to connect with other people and so on. So yeah, what was the thread about? It was about stealing people's tweeting styles. So stealing formats, basically. It was like, if you want to tweet like content is king, but format is queen, that was like the headline. And yeah, basically like, okay, so these people tweet this kind of format. So this is how you can apply it. So it was a really actionable thread too. So I think that's why it worked uh, super, super well. Nice. Cool. And so you got up to a thousand followers. What happened next? First customers? Yeah. As you said, like that's when people started to reach out because I, I probably they, they were liking my content as well. But once you get like that one hit and, you know, like your content suddenly starts to get more and more traction, then one person reached out to me. They asked for help with their content creation, you know, like strategy and so on. So we just made a call and a few emails back and forth. And we had like a, I had a proposal for them. They said yes. And I started working with that one. That was the first client. And since then, I created a website where the landing page is basically what I offer for my services. That's still my website. And, you know, that's how it works on Twitter. You get like one tweet that does well. People see your profile. They enter your website. They see what you offer. And then they just contact you if they are interested or not. So, and that's basically how I've been growing my freelance business, to be honest. Oh, and how did you decide on what to charge for, for your first customer? That was super hard because when I was in the agency, I worked as an account manager. So basically I'm the person who handles the client relationship and who manages the team internally. So that was my experience. So I sold budgets of thousands and thousands and thousands of, of euros, but doing it for yourself is way more harder. So I try to calculate more or less like how much time would the work take me. So yeah, I don't know, maybe 20 hours and how much more or less I want to make per hour, you know, like. So that's the number one number that you come up with. And since I knew that I was probably undercharging because I was feeling, you know, like imposter syndrome <laughs> all around, I decided to add like a 20% plus to the number that I came for. I sent it like super scared and they said yes. So I was like, oh, maybe I should have sent even more money. You know? <laughs> no, it's a start. It's a start. Probably everybody undercharges in the beginning, you know, and you just think, hey, if I would spend the same time working as an employee on this, I would only get a fraction of the amount I'm now getting. So I'm still happy. You could still charge more, but yeah. It was like probably working one fourth of the hours that I worked at as an agency and making almost the same just with one client. So that's when you say, okay, it's worth it. Exactly. And what did you do with like the next clients? How did they come in and how did you decide on what to charge and what to do? The good thing is that now I had like a baseline of more or less saying, so people are willing to take at least this amount of money. So at the same time, I was trying to streamline like my process so it, that it doesn't take me that much time to 
do the work. So like building some systems on the back end. I mean, I use Notion for basically everything. So just trying to build those systems on Notion to make it easier for me to do the process, like pitching, like the, you know, like organizing everything, like the client relationship and so on. So like building that. So maybe I can charge more or less the same, but I mean, I cut down the hours that it takes me in like maybe half. So that's one of the things that I try to do first. And the next clients, they just kept coming from the same way. Like Twitter was, is still is like my main, I mean, not right now, not, not that much anymore because right now I, luckily I get like, you know, referrals and people are, you know, like that's what happens when freelancing sometimes that people refer you to, to other people. But at the beginning it was hundred percent like via Twitter. Every time like one thread did really well, the next day I had like two or three discovery calls booked from people that have seen that thread. So that was like super, super cool to see. Yeah, nice, nice. And I hear a product coming. If you create all those cool things in Notion, then I think a lot of other agency owners would be interested in seeing, hey, how does this work? How can I save time? You know, Have you ever thought about packaging something like that? Yeah, the, the, the thing is that my system is basically uh, pieces of other systems that I found like laying around on the internet. So at the beginning, I bought a few templates. They didn't feel super right to me, but some parts did. So basically my system is like a Frankenstein of other systems. And you know, the thing with systems is that it needs to work for you, but it doesn't necessarily work for other people. So, I mean, right now it works for me and it's super messy in the sense that, I mean, if you come there and if you are not me, you are probably going to be like a bit, okay, so how does it work? How does, you know, like this document does it here and there? I mean, it's organized, but could be better. But you are right. There is probably like a business there in the sense of, if I can manage to package it clearly, then maybe there is something there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Systems and me, that just doesn't work together. Right? So I have a lot of problems of problems. You know, it's hard for me to set up systems. So we have a, a couple of people on our team who are a lot, a lot better at doing that. So they help me with systems and with, you know, creating processes and stuff like that. But I think whether you think that it only works for you, I think just the fact that people can have a look in your mind and, you know, see how you do things in Notion, that's already giving value. And they might not even use it, but then it's, ah, okay, he does it like that. He does it like that. That's interesting. I'm going to use this. And that, in a sense, might be enough value for people to pay, I don't know, 20, 50, whatever. <laughs> cool, cool. Okay. And so you have a little bit of an agency going. Customers are coming in. You tweet cool threads every now and then and then you get in new clients what happened after that so i mean right now i'm working on the next step of like at least what i try to become because i, I would like to be like a full-time creator whatever that means in the, in the sense that i mean i'm not clear yet what it is but probably like someone that can live out of what he creates that's what i want to do so not not that much in the service business i mean i love working with clients it's super fun for me you meet super cool people but at the same time, it's selling your time for for money. And at the end of the day, that's that's not like fully aligned with the time type of lifestyle that I want, which is a bit more free, like in that sense. So yeah, for me right now, the next step, even if I said that right now, the next step is I'm trying to build a cohort-based course because I really like teaching. I really like sharing what I learn. I really like connecting with people and with selling like um like a course that is just video and people buy it and that's it. It's a bit more difficult because, you know, they don't interact with you one-on-one, -on -one, but with a cohort-based course, I can take 10 people and be like super one-on-one -on -one with each one of them, be like super focused on each one of them. I can 
teach like a close knit group, like you get to make super cool connections. So that's the next step. I'm trying to build that right now. I don't know if I will just make one cohort and maybe if I don't feel comfortable with it, I will just scrap it and look for something else. Maybe it becomes something bigger. Maybe I do two or three every year. So that's that's the beauty of it that I can just try, you know, like experiment, see if it works. If it doesn't, I scrap it. Tell me more. What are you going to teach? Who is it for and what's included? Yeah, so basically it's I'm trying to share like the same playbook I followed for what I did on Twitter. So, but it's not only like Twitter growth. It's about to uh, like how to approach Twitter if you want to get good outcomes out of it in the sense that if you want to sell something, if you want to get lead generation, if you want to get all kinds of opportunities, how to build that personal brand on Twitter that will allow you to do that. So that's the focus. I called it right now, it's like better name, but it's play the Twitter game because I'm a gaming nerd. You know, like I, I game a lot. I have like a PS5. What games do you play? All kinds. I mean, right now, I mean, I also like a super basketball fan. So right now I'm playing 2K a lot. So that's that's super cool. But I play like all kind of role RPGs, you know, like all that kind of stuff I'm really into. I thought about mixing that with the journey of tweeting Twitter. So I'm, I'm trying to you know, like mix gaming concepts with tweeting because it, it all feels like kind of part of a game, you know, like the more you tweet, the more points you get or the more experience you get. So trying to mix those two concepts to make it a little bit more interesting and a little bit more attractive to people. So that that's basically what I'm trying to do right now. Nice. Sounds good. Sounds good. And so I said earlier, you know, that not a lot of people gain 10,000 followers in a year. Uh, you already said, you know, that my threads are doing really well. But if you would break that down to, you know, what it is in your mind that makes the thread go viral, can you elaborate on that? For me, like 90% of the thread success is the hook, like the first tweet. It has to be like top tier copywriting in the sense of getting the attention of the people. Because if you don't have them in the first tweet, then they won't even bother on reading the next one, because I mean, just think about how we all scroll Twitter, you know, you're like, just like this. And if the, the first tweet doesn't catch your attention, you're not going to read another 50 tweets about the same topic. So I put a lot of effort and I still have like a long way to go in the sense of like the first tweet needs to be like perfect, almost perfectly in the copywriting senses. So that's why I'm looking into copywriting all the time, like seeing what other creators do, like viral threads, why they went viral. And it's because the first tweet is just good. Or really good. <laughs> exactly. And still, you know, okay, people then will start reading the tweet, but not if the thread is still shit, you won't get likes or retweets. So what's the next step? Yeah, so basically I have like a formula, like a thread formula that I actually I shared all of this on, on Twitter, so it's not a secret, it's basically there on my profile. So the first thing is the hook for me. The second one is it can be like a context tweet because the hook is usually maybe one or two sentences, so it's maybe not enough to get the full sense of what you're trying to explain. So the second tweet goes a little bit more on that. So if everyone is still hesitant, you can still capture their attention. And the, the third to whatever tweet is the meat, like whatever you're trying to say. I always try to keep it like super polished in the sense of like using blank space, maybe using one sentence, blank space, one sentence, blank space, you know, like that is super easy to read and super easy to skim because basically people read super fast. So <laughs> that's what I'm trying to, to do with my threads. And then just use the last tweet or the last two tweets as a call to action to whatever I want them to do. So if I want them to sign up for my email list or to follow me or to retweet. So I asked it actually on the second to last tweet. So not in the last one, because I learned that when you see a thread on the feed, 
you see the first tweet and usually you see like the last tweet too. So Twitter, that's the way that Twitter shows threads. So I learned that you should make like the last thread also like a valuable piece of content because that's easier. Like it looks cooler on the on the feed than just a hook and then a call to action, which people usually don't, don't like that much. So, you know, like using the last tweet as a summary or something like that, I'm sure that you already know this, but using the last tweet as a summary is like a great idea of, using that last tweet for something useful too. So that's basically how I write those threads. Mm, yeah, interesting, interesting. And so I think a lot of people also, you know, they have a lot of ideas, but it's hard for them to get it on paper, on Twitter, in a thread. What's your process and how do you go from idea to creating a thread that goes viral? So basically, I for me, it's super hard to come up with ideas like staring at a blank page. It's just like, that's not how my brain works. So to get ideas and to get like into the flow, I need to read like a lot of other tweets, usually or a lot of threads. So when I'm reading tweets is when my ideas come up. So like having a swipe file or something like that, that a lot of people have, you know, like your bookmarks, stuff like that. So reading that is where I get like into where I get the ideas. So basically I try to read those tweets. If an idea sparks, then I just jot that down or maybe... I try to also record like my reactions to that tweet. So if the tweet is saying something about, I don't know, Twitter growth, I try to, to, okay, what would I reply to this tweet and try to frame that as a single tweet too. So that's a little bit how my process works. So it's a lot inspired by other tweets and other writers. And I'm not saying like copy pasting what they are saying, just like getting those uses flowing from the whatever you are reading. That's how I work because I, I'm for me it's super hard to just write staring at a blank page. But and then give us an example of how that works. You know, when did you on what topic did you get that spark and how did that spark become a thread, a hook? So basically, I mean, and this thread didn't perform really well, but it was like just for you to see the process. I was browsing Instagram, actually not Twitter, Instagram, and on Chris Do's profile. He had like a thread, uh, like a, not a thread, like one of those that you, like a carousel about like five setbacks that helped him grow as a, as a freelancer or as an operator or something like that. So I was just browsing that and I was like, okay, this makes for a really good hook, I think, and for a really good topic. So I was basically just took that and applied it to five setbacks that helped me grow as a freelancer. The thread didn't go that well, but basically like the spark to getting that thread idea was from an Instagram post. So you can see like, from Instagram, LinkedIn, like all of those kind of content places, and you can get like tweet ideas super easily. So that's basically how I did it. And how did you fill in the meat, you know, after like the hook and the context tweet? How did you come up with the five things and how to word them? What put first, what put last? Yeah, so I usually, not always, it depends on the topic, but usually I try to pull like a, each, to make each tweet like a standalone tweet that it could work as a standalone tweet. So because I've, I've tried also more narrative kind type of threads and for me, they didn't perform really well. I, I'm sure that for other people might, but for me, they didn't almost never <laughs> perform really well. But when I try to do like each tweet reads like a one standalone tweet, but still has some kind of connection to the one above and below, that's the best way for me to write those tweets. So I try to have it like a headline, then one or two sentences, and then the last sentence is like a learning or like a lesson something like that so that's type of writing that usually works well for me so that's more how i do it cool and so if you would get started today again with twitter you're a content creator how would you advise people to do it how would you do it again 
Yeah. So, I mean, the hard, the thing that I always say when people ask me this question is that the hardest on Twitter is actually go from zero to a hundred followers probably because it's, it feels super difficult because you are shouting into the void. No one is reading your tweets basically. So what you need to do, I think is go where the attention is. So you need to find five, 10, 15 bigger accounts in your niche. Just go there and be on their comments and comment their comments with value, like whatever you think, but adding value to whatever they are saying or like sparking conversation or asking a question. That basically gets you the first engagements and how the first followers come to your profile because otherwise just by tweeting your, by your own is super, super hard to, to get it. So you need to go where the, where the audience is first. And then once you get like that small fraction that we said, like 500, 1000 followers, that's when you can start capitalizing more on threads and so on. But I wouldn't even bother right now on writing a thread until I get to 600, 700 or a thousand followers because it takes a lot of time to write a good thread and no one is going to read it probably like unless you get super lucky like I did. But right now I would focus, you know, like on that engagement first. And then once I have a bit of an audience, then I can just start capitalizing on threads. Yeah. And I haven't heard you talk about DMs. What is that part of your playbook? That's the second part, yeah. So actually when I was starting out, I didn't use DMs that much. But I saw other peers that were growing faster than me, like have used the network effects, let's say, and the connections that they were using on Twitter to grow. So since I saw that, I started DMing more people, people that found that seemed interesting to me, people that were building cool stuff. And I think the secret from DMs and to leverage properly is to DM people that are on the same level than you or of growth or building something or like one, two steps ahead. So, you know, like creating that connection is always valuable because then when they need to shout someone out or when they need to retweet something, they will probably retweet yours because you are basically at that time, you're already becoming like a, an acquaintance and a, fr a friend more than just like a random Twitter guy. You know, like those DMs are super important also to build that network because if you have that network, then it's way easier to grow. You can just support each other. You can have these pod groups or chats that a lot of people use to retweet each other's content and so on. And I'm not like a huge fan of that, of just retweeting just because, but I'm a huge fan of using those kind of groups to get feedback on your own content in the sense that, okay, guys, this is like my hook for today's thread and sending that to the group and, you know, like people editing your, your own stuff. So I, I did that a couple of times and always had the good results with it. So. Nice. And so, so because you, you have your website, people can visit that, but do you also tweet about your work? Have you shown testimonials or stuff like that? How did that work? Not directly, like I never showed like testimonials on my Twitter feed, but not because I don't want to do it, just because, I mean, I didn't come get to that. But I also think it's a really good way to bring business to, to your own, just sharing like the results that you are bringing for people. I don't do it, but uh, I mean, I'm not against it. Like a lot of people do it. And I think it's a great way to show what you can do in public. And since you already have an audience, just saying like, okay, this is what I do for this kind of guy. I help this person make that much money. I think this is super helpful and I really think it's a good way to do it. I mean, probably I should do it more now that I think about it. <laughs> what I hear from you is that, you know, you have a nice baseline of clients right now. You're happy with that. I don't hear you say, I want to grow as an agency because that will get you more, you know, things on your calendar, which you don't want. You want more freedom. So that's why you're also working towards a core based course, you know, so you can do things on your own time instead of, doing client work. Is that also a reason why you're not pushing that a lot? Probably, yes. I mean, I've thought about the agency thing, like about the scaling things. And 
every now and then I have like a few people of that I trust that when I get a bit too slammed with other things, I can just refer some part of my work to them. So it's like a, it was like an agency, like in a super small scale, but I'm not looking to expand it at least not for now, because I'm not entirely sure if that's the thing I want to pursue. I'm sure that if I wanted to build an agency, I could do it and I could scale it well. Like in the next year, it could be like a good agency. I mean, I've worked in agencies for the past four or five years. I know the environment of most agencies and I don't want to build something that feels like that, you know? So if I try to build an agency one day, it needs to be, some things need to be different. But the bad thing about agencies is that at the end of the day, you are at the client's mercy and 100% of the client's mercy. And if you are comfortable with that, it's totally fine. But if you want to make your own decision and so on, then maybe it's not the best business model. So that's why I'm keeping it a bit low profiling for now, at least. I've also worked at an agency in the in the past. What would you change about agencies or agency life? What I would change is how the clients treat the agency, but that, that's like super hard because on, most clients treat agencies like executors because they need something to be done and they don't treat them as partners. And for me, if I work with someone with a client as an agency or as a freelance even too, I want them to treat me like partners and I want them to hear what I have to say. And they don't need to apply everything that I'm saying, but at least if you are paying me money to give you advice and to help you, at least let's not do at the end of the day, whatever you want. You know, if I say that the logo should be red, it's because you are paying my expertise to tell you that the logo should be red and not green as you want. And at an agency, sometimes if the client says green, at the end of the day, it will be green. (laughs) So, I mean, that happens a lot. So I don't know. Yeah, and it's pretty hard because it starts, I think, from the get-go from, you know, what type of clients do we want? You know, what are they asking from us? And yeah, I see that as well in, in a lot of agencies that, yeah, it's just purely execution. There's not a lot of strategy involved. It's just do what the client asks. And yeah, I think when agencies start to become more strict, what type of clients they allow, then it'll start to become easier. They won't grow as fast or they'll have less business, but People who are working in the agency will have a lot more fun. They'll probably stay a lot longer and clients will have better results as well. Yeah, that's the thing. If I build an agency, it has to be like that. I have to be, it's not to sound cocky or anything, but I have to be able to choose with who I want to work with. Not just taking a client because you need the revenue, because your agency is super big. So you need to pay everyone, you know. So being lucky on the, in the position that you can choose your clients, I think that's the ideal spot, but I think it's not that easy to make actually. <laughs> And I think it's also something European because I did a like an interview. I wanted something from an American business and I had an onboarding call and I explained what I wanted and what we did. And they were just like, thank you for this call, but you're just not a good fit. Have a good day and bye-bye. That's literally what they said to me. And I was like, uh, okay. So that was eye-opening to me as well. And I think here in Europe, well, at least I know in the Netherlands and Belgium, I hear you in Spain, the same. They just accept Everybody, I guess, they just say, yeah, I want business, I want to earn money, let's go. But they don't really think, is this a good fit? Will you know my employees enjoy working for this client? No, they just think, okay, they bring in, I don't know, 10K a month, 50K a month, let's do it. And uh, don't think about all the consequences. Yeah, I think that's, we are just chasing the revenue and the money. And at the end of the day, once you have like, you have been on that race for a couple of years, you realize that is chasing the money is cool but it's probably not the best long-term strategy for any business. So just chasing like whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever you want to spend actual time with 
and not like, oh, and now I have to make a proposal for like, a, I don't know, jelly bean company and I hate jelly bean and that's boring, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Cool, okay. So now imagine you see a tweet on a timeline and you're going to retweet that. How does that tweet look like? What kind of tweets do you retweet? I don't retweet that much, but not for because I don't like it, but sometimes I like to keep my profile a little bit more cleaner in the sense that since I'm treating it like super like a brand brandy thing, at least I want to be like orange everywhere. <laughs> so sometimes when you retweet that, it breaks the pattern. But I mean, I retweet things for example, people that I know, people that I want to support when they launch a project or something like that. And I mean, I have no issues retweeting that. So that's one type of things that I retweet. And if I retweet like a tweet from someone else, it needs to be, or a thread, it needs to be something that it really struck me as that I really enjoyed reading, like a thread that I, I think is like phenomenal or high, super high quality, and I retweet it. But otherwise, it's, I just try to keep it everything a bit more cleaner. Thank you, Alex. This was a lot of fun. Where can people find you? So basically at, at Twitter, at AlexUETW. So that's my Twitter handle. And yeah, that's basically it. I have everything, all my links, my relevant links and everything are there. So that's where people can find me. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter, sharing your favorite part of this episode. See you again next week.